today on Reparations in Action. To take this lesson that this, this the system of colonial capitalism and the contradictions that come from it is not a permanent situation. And you can just take that from the Battle of St. Peter 96 to the struggles happening around the world. This system, the time is ticking. You're listening to Reparations in Action. Uhuru. You're listening to the Reparations in Action podcast and FM radio show, The White Lies Shattered series. My name is Jamie Simpson. White Lies Shattered is a program of reparations in action exposing the insidious lies we tell ourselves as white or European people about the nature and origin of America and the current social system. We believe reparations to African people is the key question of our times and is one that demands action on the part of European or white people. As always, we'd like to salute Black Power 96, where this show is aired and recorded for our podcast weekly. Today is a special edition of Reparations in Action, marking 25 years since the murder of Tyrone Lewis by police in St. Petersburg. On October 24, 1996, Tyrone Lewis, an 18-year-old African man, was shot to death in broad daylight by police during a traffic stop at an intersection just a few blocks away from the Uhuru House, which is also the local headquarters of the African People's Socialist Party. There were over 100 witnesses to this heinous colonial murder. The African community then rose up in a courageous and fierce rebellion against the police and the entire system of colonial oppression in St. Petersburg. These rebellions lasted throughout the night of October 24th. Then on November 13, 1996, the grand jury exonerated police officers James Knight and Sandra Minor of any wrongdoing in the murder of Tyrone Lewis. As soon as news of this exoneration became public, police swarmed the Uhuru House, arresting members of the Uhuru movement for things like expired license plates. Chairman of the African People's Socialist Party, Omalia Shatella, and other Uhuru movement leaders were pepper sprayed by the police outside of the Uhuru House as the entire African community came into the streets and watched in disgust. The International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement was holding its regular Wednesday night meeting that night of November 13, 1996, and the police cut off the flow of traffic to the Uhuru House to this meeting and began intimidating the community and preventing people from attending the meeting. Shortly after Chairman Omalia Shatella began this Wednesday night meeting of the Uhuru Movement, there were over a hundred men, women, and children in the auditorium, and the police declared the meeting an illegal gathering and began attacking people inside and outside of the auditorium with incendiary tear gas canisters that eventually set a tree and van behind the Uhuru House on fire. This fire threatened the entire building and the lives of everyone inside. The African community then rose up for a second time in armed guerrilla warfare against over 300 police who were armed to the teeth. The African working class community members extinguished the fire at the Uhuru House and fought the police 
in a fierce armed resistance that eventually forced two police helicopters to land and a small police airplane to leave the airspace over St. Petersburg. The colonial police were forced to withdraw from the African community, and a transcript of the police communication that night was published in the local newspaper the next day and had the commander saying, pull back the troops, were under heavy fire. The Tyrone Lewis Rebellion of October 24, 1996, and the November 13th Battle of St. Petersburg ended in an absolute victory for the African working class that forever changed the city and marked a serious defeat for the global system of colonial capitalism. In St. Petersburg, this meant that the balance of power between the state, meaning the city government and the police, and the African working class was forever altered. For eight years after the murder of Tyrone Lewis, no African person in St. Petersburg was murdered by police. The Uhuru movement was recognized as the unquestioned and legitimate leadership of the African working class, and all charges against Uhuru movement leaders and members were dropped. This was an unprecedented victory for the African working class and the African revolution. The following is a section of the documentary The Battle of St. Pete and the Struggle for Black Power produced by Robert Wyrud of the Fred Hampton Uhuru House in 1998. He was young, he was black, and he was shot for no reason, dog. And that's real. The man was shot for no reason, we wouldn't be doing all this today. How you think my mom looking at the news now? It could have been me, you know? It could have been me. How you think my mom? I know my mom feel every day. I'm going to get shot or something, you know? Because of the Uhuru movement's 30-year history of organizing for black rights in St. Petersburg and throughout the country, we were able to provide political leadership and a voice for the demands of the African working class of St. Petersburg, enabling the community to respond powerfully to the police murder of Tyrone Lewis through two major rebellions and countless direct action mobilizations. Within one year of the initial rebellion, the Uhura movement has forced both the city government and the federal government to respond to the African community's demand for economic development and social justice and taken the struggle for black power to a new level. We in the Uhura movement believe that this struggle in St. Petersburg is indicative of a growing resistance in African communities throughout this country. We hope that this program will be of value to organizers working to promote black power for the African community. They murdered Teron Lewis. It was supposed to be just another day in Africa. That's what it was supposed to be. The state's response to the murder and to the immediate resistance that emerged was typical. But you need to know that the resistance was not typical. What happened in St. Petersburg was incredible for its advanced character. The advanced character of the resistance in St. Petersburg was striking. People all around the country, even with the garbage that was coming to the Chicago Sun-Times, and somebody who wrote that article, somebody showed it to me when I got here, somebody who wrote the article in the Chicago Sun-Times just went into a room someplace and said, uh, why don't we say this? And then wrote something and said, why don't we say it? And wrote something because it had no relationship to the real world. Uh, 
But the thing is that people, even through the bourgeois media, were able to see the advanced character of the struggle that happened in St. Petersburg, Florida. And it was advanced because even though there were waves of people uh, in the streets, the thing that was so striking about St. Petersburg wasn't just burning and looting, so to speak, but there were what they like to refer to in this country when they're murdering people in Iraq and other places uh, is there were surgical strikes that uh, saw uh, police precincts, uh, two police precincts in the African community destroyed. That saw, that saw uh, police cars overtook, burned on the spot. Saw media vehicles burned uh, uh, on the spot. So blood-sucking, filthy, parasitic merchants, many of them been in the community for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Only role they play in the community is come there to pick up money. And as soon as they get it, they stay there long enough to exhaust the supply of money for the day, then they take the money and leave and come back the next day to get the money. And while people may have thought the masses were sleeping and didn't understand the role of these forces, they did clearly understand their role. And they went to burn to the ground. And it happened so quickly that uh, the ruling class were writing about uh, how that happened and how somebody must have planned it. And somebody uh, must have made it happen like that. And of course, what happened is that the Uhuru movement, in one form or another, has been in St. Petersburg, Florida for 30 years. An unbroken history, 30 years in that same community. An unbroken history. And it has been 30 years of political education, sometimes less effective than others, because the, the last thing I would want to do is paper over the contradictions in our movement because there are contradictions which permeate our movement in St. Petersburg and throughout the country. But in St. Petersburg, there was consistent struggle to reach out to the masses. So the people rose up and made a magnificent response to the murder of Teron Lewis. The response of the state to the murder of Teron Lewis was never to reprimand the police. There was no intent ever to say the police might have done something wrong uh, or to say uh, that there are any kind of underlying social contradictions which may have also contributed to the rebellion that occurred on October 24th. The response of the state, of the government, with the help of the ruling class media, was first to slander Teron Lewis, because you know he did have a criminal record. Uh, and he was speaking. And there was some crack we found in the car after he was killed. So that was the first thing they did. Secondly, the response was to isolate and criminalize the Uhuru movement for inciting the rebellion. Never, never, never did they intend to say, well, maybe the police acted improperly. Maybe there are some kind of underlying social contradictions here responsible for the rebellion. Their response was to slander that brother, to isolate 
and criminalize our movement and then to indict us to send us to prison. That was their response immediately. But they were unsuccessful in doing that. They were, they were unsuccessful because we pushed the democratic question successfully. was the Uhuru Movement produced Battle of St. Pete, the documentary available on YouTube. I had the honor of speaking to the Director of Agitation and Propaganda for the African People's Socialist Party, Akile Anayi, on this 25-year anniversary of the murder of Tyrone Lewis and the rebellions that followed. We began by talking about the relationship between the police and the African community, in 1996. Uhuru, yeah, I think um, the first thing we can say about the relationship between the police and the African community in St. Pete during that time, um, and it's the same relationship that's been carried on for centuries since African people's um, colonial enslavement and uh, capture and being brought to this to this land, um, which is characterized as the U.S. today. Um, and, you know, that really sets the, the, 
the stage for the relationship that African people have with the police in 96 and the relationship that we have with them today, where the police is a um, colonial uh, military occupying force within the African community to uh, maintain the relationship of uh, the colonizer and the colonized, where the colonizer um, has all of this wealth at the expense of the poor and impoverished um, African working class colonized population. And um, the city of St. Pete is, 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 and we have to say that because the city of St. Petersburg is no uh, different from, you know, the rest of, uh, you know, the settler colony of the U.S. And, um, uh, you know, it, it participates in this, this global process. So um, the, the scene at that time um, in 96, uh, especially following, you know, um, <clears throat> uh, what they were doing um, to this community with, you know, the process of gentrification, um, you know, erecting a, uh, a baseball dome after destroying a black community called the Gas Plant District, um, that the murder of Tyron Lewis was a consequence of this city sanitizing um, uh, you know, this, this community, this area, this prime real estate for the, um, development, uh, the, uh, expansion of the white community in this city and the, you know, the tourist economy and things of that nature. So, uh, the murder of Tyron Lewis, um, this 18 year old African was a, uh, you know, again, a process of colonial gentrification, removing African people out of this community, making examples of African people, um, uh, and, um, yeah, it was just a, it's, it's a, it's a continued relationship and, um, <clears throat> the Af Africans can't be here in order for, you know, the white population to, um, continue to, to move here. Um, so that's, that's what we were seeing. I mean, there was, there were a lot of different attacks, assaults being made on the African community during this uh, stretch of time. And Tyron Lewis was a part of that. Under colonialism, there is nothing unusual about the police murdering African people in broad daylight. What was not routine about the rebellion uh, uh, that followed the murder of Tyrone Lewis was the politically conscious nature of the resistance that followed. Yeah, I think that that what you stated in just the beginning there about, um, you know, Tyrone Lewis, I mean, this is a common practice of colonialism. Africans are killed by the state every single day for the benefit, and the maintenance of the social system. So Tyrone Lewis in and of itself, you know, wasn't this anomaly, but it was this organized military response from the African working class that made it so different. And that we, and as I was mentioned, it's routine to kill African people. And um, it, you know, happens on a day-to-day -day basis. And there, are, there isn't always an uprising or rebellion that occurs. So um, <clears throat> this city was, and and it's important to note too that, you know, Chairman Amalia Shatella, who was born here, who had been organizing here since the 60s, um, you know, uh, with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, with the formation of the hunt of militant organizations, tearing down um, this white nationalist mural that hung in the city of St. Pete in 1966, um, you know, and, and then uh, the the birth of the party, the African People's Socialist Party in 1972, that all of this was leading up to the organized re resistance of the African working class in the city of St. Pete. And that's why it was different. It was different because African people had its had political leadership on the ground. Um, and that 
that really encouraged, like encouraged the rebellion that gave people the consciousness to know that this, what has just occurred is, you know, um, an act that, you know, is that, that re expects our, um, uh, expects us to just lay down and accept it, to take it as, as reality. And, um, that the state got a totally different response, which, um, had, had occurred over decades of political leadership and ideological development happening on behalf of the black liberation movement. And in particular, the African people socialist party that had been here had for decades had the benefit of the leadership of the chairman and um, had organizers on the ground prior to the murder of Tyron Lewis to um, really saturate our communities with the understanding of this relationship that African people have with the state, with the police, being able to recognize, identify those forces and their responsibility in maintaining the oppression of our community. Um, and yeah, that's that's what made it so significant. That's what that's why we're able to recall Tyron Lewis 25 years later, because people rose up in defense of Tyron Lewis and our entire African community and said, you will not get to kill us and accept, expect for us not to do anything, for to expect us not to respond and to defend our community. That day, you know, those days are over. That's what was different in 1996. I asked director Akile to tell us how the Uhuru movement became inextricably tied to the uprisings and identified as the political leadership of these rebellions. Well, I uh, mentioned, you know, the the history of the Black Power movement in the city of St. Petersburg in particular. And that, you know, that all uh, laid the ground, I believe, for 1996. And <clears throat> um I mean, identified as a political leadership of the rebellion. I mean, the the Uhuru movement has been the political leadership, you know, in in this city, uh, you know, throughout this country and throughout the world um, for for decades since our existence or since our founding in 1972. Um, the fact of the matter is that uh, such leadership, um, you know, we've we've been void such leadership, you know, since the defeat of the Black Power movement in the 60s. And um, chairman, the leadership of Chairman Amalia Shetela and the Uhuru movement, it kept the Black Power movement alive. And um, you know, we were the we were the only you know forces to claim that in the city. Nobody was touching that. The African petty bourgeoisie, the neo-colonial, um, you know, stooges, you know, weren't claiming um, you know what where we were, which is fighting for Black Power and self determination and continuing on that trajectory. And that's how the Uhuru movement distinguishes itself among all of these formations and organizations that you know uh, come into existence uh, in response to the people rising up in order to pacify, in order to um, redirect the energies and the attention of the African working class. So the Uhuru movement was totally distinguished between all of that. And um, the Uhuru movement had been doing work before the murder of Tyron Lewis, after the murder of Tyron Lewis, um, you know, in our communities, holding um, community mass uh, meetings and events, uh, you know, uh, having opportunities for African people to engage in, in building our own um economic capacity. You know, the Uhuru movement was doing all of this and um, following the murder of Tyron Lewis before the verdict came out on November 13th, the Uhuru movement organized, um, you know, sessions where the people were summing what, summing up what was going on. And what happened on November 13th when um, the, you know, the uh, non-indictment of, you know, these two killer cops who killed Tyron Lewis, 
you know, the Uhuru movement was organizing a rally or, or meeting then to discuss the verdict. And, it, you know, it was that point, um, you know, where, you know, that rebellion uh, broke out because of the state initiated attack on the Uhuru movement um, during that time. So we were passing out flyers, you know, uh, our propaganda, you know, everywhere, salting the earth, being able to define this narrative, this reality for the African working class, but for everyone in the city that was witnessing what had just happened with the murder of Tyron Lewis and continued after that to provide strategic leadership after the display of, you know, guerrilla warfare on November 13th, the party never stopped. The Uhuru movement never stopped. That wasn't the end. We continued to uh, organize and build, um, you know, from, from uh, that incredible uh, act of um, African resistance um, uh, on, in 1996. So, you know, the political leadership of the Uhuru movement was ours to seize. We were the only ones, the last man standing, if you will. Chairman Omali Ishatella has stated that the city or the state first tried to politically isolate the Uhuru movement. And when that failed, they sought a military victory and got their behinds kicked by the people, meaning they were militarily defeated by serious guerrilla warfare on the part of the African working class. I asked Director Akile to tell us, in her view, what was the relationship between that military victory the African community won in pushing back 300 armed to the teeth police on November 13, 1996, and the political tactics that the African People's Socialist Party used, such as uh, intervening to influence the coalition of African-American leadership and holding an African community people's tribunal, which found James Knight and Sandra Minor guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced them to death. I asked her to speak to that military victory against the state and whether or not it was a consequence of this political strategy. Absolutely. I think that um, the political leadership and strategy of the Uhuru movement during that time was critical and that without it, you know, um, you know, such a victory wouldn't have been possible. And, and in fact, we see Africans getting gunned down and we see Africans rising up. Um, but the thing that is that lacks there is the lack of political leadership that, you know, salted that earth um, that the people had the benefit of. So what happens uh, most often when these situations happen with the with the murder of George Floyd, with the murder of Mike Brown, um, is that with the, that in that absence of political leadership, you know, the people are engaged in, um, you know, rising up and demonstrating. But where does it go? And um, there is no, there's no defined to what end. And, you know, the, the, uh, the system deploys, you know, the neo-colonial forces, the white power and black face, um, you know, these careerists who, who make uh, something of themselves uh, through, um, <clears throat> yes, make something of themselves uh, through appearing after the murders of African people by, by the police. Um, so they're, without that political leadership, the people are, you know, uh, they know we know we're angry. We know we want to do something about it, um, but we have no, you know, if there's no uh, general understanding of you know who the enemy is and what it is we're confronted with, then how do you fight back? How do you know how to fight back? And the that in the African working class community here in Saint Petersburg had the benefit of that. We had the benefit of knowing who the enemy was and what the the the, the contradiction we were confronted with, and um, that 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 was a that um, allowed for the African working class to immediately jump into action. Again, they, you know, the state initiated its attack 
on the African working class when they um, attempted to isolate the Uhuru movement. They attempted to kill leaders of our movement. They were conducting preemptive preemptive uh, moves against our people, you know, arresting members of our movement, things like that, you know, uh, already trying to um, uh, prepare for this type of outcome. And, um, but the, you know, the African working class was, was very clear at that point, um, you know, and was able to just, again, jump into action and use all the means that we had. And it was the, it was the conviction, you know, of the African working class um, that, that you see in, you know, struggles of like Vietnam, you know, like that, that type of conviction, that political leadership that was responsible for their victory and kicking out not just one, but two imperialist colonialist forces from Vietnam. And it's the same thing we see even in this year with Afghanistan. It's the, the conviction, the, the unity with, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, the ideological, uh, you know, uh, uh, line and the 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 need for independence that is you know what um really makes it possible for the colonized to be victorious in in the face of such military might um uh, like that in which the the city of saint pete uh tried to um enforce on the african community but it had it didn't stand a chance it didn't stand a chance against you know at that point in time you know uh nearly, what, two, three decades of political leadership of the Uhuru movement and um, the unity that the people had with this movement. You know, that that's what, um, uh, yeah, that's what led to the military victory of the African working class, because, you know, we, we, we there's, we don't have the, the, the military arsenal that um, the state has, but you know we have something that the state doesn't have, which is the desire, um, by any means necessary, to be free. Twenty-five years after the murder of Tyrone Lewis, and a year and a half after the murder of George Floyd, I asked director Akile to tell us where she thinks the African community of Saint Petersburg stands in its struggle for black power, and what lessons she thinks this generation of revolutionaries can learn from the Battle of Saint Pete. Yeah, I think that um, 25 years later, um, I mean, one thing that, you know, we have to understand that the conditions of our people are far worse today than they were 25 years ago, than they were 50 years ago, uh, despite the idea of progress made by Africans in this country and in this city. Uh, uh, just recently, um, an African man was elected as mayor of the city of St. Pete for the first time in history. And it's this thing that's celebrated. And, um, you know, this, this, first of all, um, when you really look at it, that, that African man who, you know, is a neo-colonial stooge, um, and, uh, you know, there's, that's just what that is. But, um, you know, this, this person wouldn't have even been possible, couldn't have been elected, um, you know, without the influence of the Uhura movement. And I, I mean that in the sense that even the idea of, of St. Pete being progressive and, and having to move in that direction, that's in response to the types of organizing that the Uhura movement has done, you know, since, um, since our founding and um, uh, since we've been organizing here in this city, that it's had to make those uh, uh, moves. And, and I, I wouldn't say those are concessions necessarily, but it's had to make these, uh, these, 
meager attempts to speak to, uh, you know, the oppression of African people to acknowledge that it exists. And um, of course, they have no ability or no interest to, uh, you know, overturn that relationship that they have with our community. But um, it's just important to note that things like that, um, they, that they are, they're moving towards or they're speaking to in terms of progress and things like that uh, for African people, it's because of the pressure that's been applied through the leadership of the Uhuru movement and the organizing of the African working class community here. Um, but uh, we can't miss, we, but with seeing all of that, we can't make the mistake of believing that the conditions of our people have, have gotten better. Um, the fact of the matter is, uh, the city of St. Pete has been involved in, over the last several decades, uh, decades, a serious uh, process of colonial gentrification and removing African people out of the city. And that's strategic um, for multiple reasons, um, and the least of which is, is, is you know, for white developers to, um, you know, uh, make all of these resources at our expense. But, you know, you remove a population who recall what happened here in 96 and um, bring in um, a population that has no idea about the history of black power in this city. Um, and that includes the white population, the colonizer population who, who comes here from, you know, every other, uh, you know, place um, in this country to, to come here, to retire here, to get their beach home. And they have no idea about the history that, um, that occurred here. Um, <clears throat> So, uh, you know, but the Uhuru movement, the African People's Socialist Party is here in St. Petersburg and, you know, our uh, presence has grown um, to, you know, create these uh, really important dual and contending power economic institutions in our community um, and, and continuously challenging the ruling class and um, providing political leadership um, in our community and uh, will not allow for the what the city is doing to um, sweep murders of people like Tyrone Lewis under the rug, that um, you know the ruling class here will not go unchallenged, that we've met them in every arena, <laughs> um, you know, including the electoral arena, uh, which they've typically dominated. We've met them there, forced reparations to be on the ballot, and they've had to deal with that. So, um, you know, they're they're up against a lot because you know there is a lot of pressure. On this, um, on this govern, on this, the state, the government, um, uh, and particularly around the questions of reparations, the Tropicana Field Dome, and the, the future of that, there's a lot of pressure on them, and it's coming from uh, the African community, and that's a result of years of political leadership of the Uhuru movement, um, and I think that uh, you know we have to. Uh, take this as a really important lesson, um, the Battle of St. Pete, a really important lesson, a, a profound example of what um, the African working class can achieve with its own revolutionary party, with that political leadership, that the African working class is mighty and that it has the ability, it, we can win and we are winning um, despite all the odds, despite our conditions that are imposed on us, that the African working class, you know, has this capability, capacity to overturn this system, which for some people, it, I, I don't know how today because of the crisis um, that you can see, but, you know, um, for those who believe, who can't seem to look, see past the system and think that its existence is permanent, to take this lesson that this, this the system of colonial capitalism and the contradictions that come from it 
is not a permanent situation. And you can just take that from the Battle of St. Peter 96 to the struggles happening around the world. The system, the time is ticking for it. And that's what we have a responsibility in St. Pete uh, to never let Tyron Lewis's name um, uh, disappear uh, from our from our memories and including those who are just coming in uh, to the city. And uh, we have to remind people uh, uh, of what, what is possible when the people are organized under revolutionary leadership, this is what we're capable of. I asked Akile uh, whether she thinks St. Petersburg will see another period like the eight years of not a single African person being murdered by the police that we saw after the murder of Tyrone Lewis. I think that we have to, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously I, I won't be able to, uh, you know, tell the the future, but um, I do think that in a way we can, um, you know, tell, yeah, where the situation is going um, in the world based on uh, where the, the place of you know where the system is currently, and um, we look around the world today and colonized people, uh, oppressed people around the world are rising up, and you know are declaring that you know, this, the, the days of the system are numbered colonial capitalism, you know, U S imperialism, it's, you know, it, it, it the U S is not the superpower um, that it was that it's, it's on its last leg. And, um, <clears throat> with the continued efforts of, of revolutionary political leadership, I do believe that the state will be under intense, intense pressure. Uh, it's obviously under intense scrutiny, um, but um, under a serious pressure, and it, I mean, in a dying uh, system of imperialism, I mean, it does, it, it does lash out, it is violent, um, and it will do everything it can to uh, sustain itself. Um, but it does have to be, uh, you know, in, on its toes. I mean, it in, in terms of being able to function in the same old way, being able to come into our community, kill us with impunity, it would, it would, ha it has to, um, you know, reconsider all of that. And, and, you know, in the event that an African is murdered by the police that, you know, uh, putting that, putting the police on trial and, you know, and, and, and coming up with indictments and things like that. I mean, that's something that, um, at one point, the system didn't have to consider. It was just another dead nigga and that was it. And, um, but that's, that, that can't happen anymore. That is not possible. And we see that we see it because African people are rising up after the murder of uh, George Floyd in the summer of 2020. Um, and obviously we saw it in 96. So I think that we are going to increasingly run into a situation where um, the state, the colonial capitalist state is going to, and, and already has begun the process of, um, you know, having to uh, function totally differently based on the pressure coming from the people. But if we intend for there to be a, a, another eight year stretch um, and longer, uh, you know, not one more African life stolen at the hands of the colonial capitalist system, it's going to be on us to, um, you know, organize in our communities, um, organize the people, um, winning them as we did in 96 uh, and even and prior to that, winning them to the understanding of, you know, what it is we're confronted with, what the system is, defining who our enemies are, defining who the colonial capitalist state is and what their function is, winning the people to um, our own independence, um, our own interests, uh, the uh, the demand for self determination, uh, winning our uh, our uh, and winning our um, winning us to turn our backs against the system. 
um, that we will be able to apply a so an intense amount of pressure, um, you know, on this system to, uh, and that, you know, that's, uh, what we're talking about here is a coming together of, you know, African worker state power, uh, being able to, um, control, uh, what happens in our communities, our own destinies and being in, and seizing power so that no one can come into our communities and harm any of our people, um, without consequence. And that's what it's going to take, um, uh, for African people to not have to live under, uh, uh, link, you know, this, this, uh, this haunting presence of fear all the time, not knowing when the day might be our last. And if coming in contact with a police officer, um, at any point during our day will result in our death. So, uh, that's, that's what it's going to require. And I think that's how we confidently can say, you know, yes, there will be a period of time where African people won't experience this anymore, but it's going to require revolutionary organization, leadership, um, which we have, and um, uh, to seize power. That's what it's going to take. Like so many other victims of police murder, Tyrone Lewis was subjected to a second death, as it's called in the media, a second death of slander. I asked director Akile to tell us what she wants people to know about the person that Tyrone Lewis was who he was in terms of his legacy, his family, and his community. Yeah, I really want to just emphasize what you, you know, just stated about the media, the colonial bourgeois media, and that when they put the yellow tape, you know, when they start putting the yellow tape around, um, you know, a murder scene when African people have been, uh, you know, killed by the police or, you know, um, they, they, the, the people that they let in out, outside of the police are the media. They let the media vans in and they start working together to get their story straight um, and to be able to paint a narrative um, about what has just occurred. And, um, <clears throat> and that's what happened in 96 and what continues to happen that they, um, they attempt to define, uh, you know, what has, has just taken place. Um, and it's always uh, a situation of, of slander um, where they're attacking uh, the victim where they're attacking our, the African community are attacking our parents, you know, things like that, um, to be able to explain and justify the death of Tyron Lewis and countless other Africans who've been murdered by this system. Um, and so that's just an important, uh, important note to make about, uh, you know, the functioning of the media and journalism and this whole idea that, uh, things are, um, uh, non-biased or unbiased, uh, things like that. I mean, it's, it's to it's in total collaboration with the state. They are the state themselves, um, in a sense that they carry out, uh, you know, this, um, this assault on our community and, um, wage this type of war idea of war of ideas, um, um, on our people. So, um, <clears throat> I think that people have to know about Tyron Lewis, uh, and we've, you know, been saying it throughout this interview that um, Tyron, the Tyron Lewis inspired, uh, you know, with the political leadership of the Uhuru movement. Um, the thing that distinguishes uh, the murder of Tyron Lewis is the the African working class and what we did uh, following the murder. And um, want to say just towards his family who has been fighting for twenty five years, who con consistently comes out to actions. Um, uh, his sister Deanne Lewis, who uh, constantly um, is has you know just been vocal and is standing with the Uhuru movement over the over these last years, it didn't take a didn't take a check, you know, uh, you know from um, anyone, hush money, nothing. I mean, just stood courageously. This this African working class family has stood courageously this whole time, you know, um, uh, and and has denounced this system over and over again because so many times, 
you know, we're, uh, you see these families who have just been devastated by the loss of, you know, have mothers burying their children. And, you know, we are, um, uh, you know, they, they send these sellouts into our communities and they have those Africans go up in front of the whole world, in front of the media and apologize, apologize or, or to, to say we forgive, you know, and, you know, this, this family never, never did such a thing. I mean, you have, um, uh, we were just out with, um, his family, his mother, um, Deanne, um, on, on the anniversary of the 25th anniversary of his death. And, um, you know, they're as outspoken as ever, you know, and, 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 um, I think that's who we, we have to raise up that family. We have to demand reparations to that family, uh, reparations with interest. 25 years has gone by. Um, since the murder of of Tyrone Lewis, that that family has had to deal with, suffer from uh, the loss of that a member of their family and a member of our community. So I think we have to remember and uphold, uh, when we remember Tyrone Lewis, we have to uphold that family, wrap our arms and support and embrace that family. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, we have to, uh, you know, we just have to continue to organize um, and, uh and make sure that the name of Tyron Lewis and and what happened with the African working class in 96, you know, that memory does not die. That's what we have to do. I want to express profound appreciation for Director of Agitation and Propaganda, Akile Anayi, for joining me today on Reparations in Action for this important discussion about Tyrone Lewis and the Battle of St. Pete. For real. You're listening to Reparations in Action. Reparations now! This has been an episode of Reparations in Action, the White Lies Shattered series, a biased podcast of white solidarity with black power. My name is Jamie Simpson. This episode was engineered by Marcel Marius, who also composed our theme music. The show is researched and produced by Penny Hess, Jesse Neville, and Lisa Watson from the Black Power 96.3 FM studio in St. Petersburg, Florida. A shout out to Akile Anayi and DJ Eddie Maltzby, as well as the entire Reparations in Action team, Sandra Forrest, Johan Bedingfield, Amanda Carlozzi, Kyle Weiss, Marissa Ricchetti, Ali Aiello, Alana Woods, Declan Keller, Hallie Murray, and Sarah Ritterspock. If you liked what you heard today, you can go to Apple Podcasts and rate this podcast. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, please email them to us at ria at blackpower96.org. Special thanks to the African People's Socialist Party's Chairman Omalia Shetela, without whose leadership and theory of African internationalism, none of the understandings presented on reparations in action would be possible. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week.